and welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello! The premise of our show is very simple. For each week, we have carefully picked two films which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find what their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on my particular area of expertise, Golden Age of Hollywood, and the other is chosen by my co-host, which is from their specialty. So that will be anything from 1970s New Hollywood through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other person. Um, today's episode is, is not sort of limited to the rule because I've chosen a film that's not part of my particular area of expertise due to the fact that there are very few animation films um, during the golden age of Hollywood. They're that are... actually good. They're actually good. <laughs> and, and also but you I had seen. seen them. Yeah. And that's yeah, what... yeah. Everyone's seen Snow White. So yeah, yeah. And, or Fantasia. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I know Nick has been looking forward to to this episode for a very long time because we talk about animation and he loves animation. That's me clapping. I'm clapping. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm not saying I'm not a fan, but let's just say I'm not a diehard animation fan. It's not something that I would like go crazy about. You you wouldn't you wouldn't go to the cinema and watch Shrek Five. No, I probably would not. I did go to the cinema to watch Toy Story Four, so but that's Toy Story, so that's Tom Hanks. You you know who who wouldn't go to the cinema to watch any of the Toy Story films? True, true. Um, anyway, yeah. um, the first thing we're, we're, we're not talking about Toy Story today. We are not. To, to, we are not talking about Toy Story. I mean, everyone's seen Toy Story, and it does not. Yeah. So the first film we will be talking about is a, a twenty sixteen film called The Red Turtle, uh, directed by Michael, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Dudok De Witt. He's uh, Dutch. He's Dutch. Yeah, he's uh, the Dutch uh, director. Um, and here's a quick synopsis. A man is ship- shipwrecked on a deserted island and encounters a, tur- a red turtle, which changes his life. So that's quite a short synopsis. Um for a very complex, complex, not complicated, but maybe complex is the word. So, Nick, what did you think of the Red Turtle? Oh, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, I mean, if anybody had seen had seen the Twitter post from from earlier on today, oh yeah, um, this film just just it absolutely broke me. It really did. Um, <laughs> I am I am really really angry with myself that I didn't watch this sooner when it came out. I heard a lot of good things about it. Mark Kermode raved on about it. Yeah. And obviously with it being uh, a Studio Ghibli film as well, it was like I'm really pissed off at myself that I didn't see it. Um, but 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 now meant, you get to talk about it on the podcast. It meant that I get to talk about it on the podcast. So um, you know. I honestly, after watching after watching this, I felt this enormous kind of this enormous sense of peace, and I just I sat there for a good five minutes afterwards, like after the credits had rolled, and just kind of let myself kind of like overcome with emotion, 
Um, I did not expect this film to do that to me. I yes, okay, I do get quite easily emotionally manipulated in films, um, especially when it comes to stuff that's like quite sad. Um, uh, the aforementioned Toy Story uh, three and and four especially um, will do that. Uh, same with Up. Um, Inside Out was a, a big one for me um in terms of being pulled in by an animated film and being destroyed by it and this film came very very close to doing what inside out did to me and if anybody knows me in real life you'll know exactly what that statement means um after so this this is a completely wordless 80 minutes um yeah you know i i i kind of i kind of wondered before watching this why studio could Ghibli would release this or put this put their name on it because as far as I can figure out from what I remember when this was being released was that this wasn't a Studio Ghibli financed film this is a film that Michael Duoctovit had made and Studio Ghibli merely then released it through their through their brand from what I can tell um you know this is a film being released it's a film from Europe um yeah, it's a European co-production and it's 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 then with that Studio Ghibli name. It's then put alongside films like My Neighbor Dottoro, uh, Spirited Away, uh, Grave of the Fireflies, Howl's Moving Castle, Nausicaa. You know, I can go on in terms of what the Studio Ghibli canon is. It's 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 insane. Um, you know, my my two favorite Ghibli films are, are Porco Rosso and uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, I don't. I, Danny, do you have a favorite Ghibli film? Um, I can't say I do. Maybe is your name Ghibli? No, no, that's not. That's uh, Makoto Shinkai. Yeah, no. Yeah. Then no. The, no. You, um. Okay. We're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to rectify that. Um. We're gonna have to get some Ghibli. Um. And and you know I was thought like the Red Turtle it couldn't match the canon of Ghibli. Uh, it would why you know I couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, it really stands aside. It stands alongside anything that Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki and um, Aizou uh, Takahata had done. Um, not so much Goro Miyazaki, but if that's another story entirely. Um, you know, Ghibli films have always kind of been, you know, or most of them at least, kind of, straddle the line quite finely between the real and the fantastic you know fantasy and normality um think about how you know spirited away they you know that it kind of goes from the the real life into the, the fantastic into the spirit world um think of pompoco and the, the raccoons that you know with their giant testicles and then they kind of magically transform into humans and then later on in the film they you know they lose their transformation ability to turn into you know back into raccoons because of the industrialization of japan um you know there's kind of like a magical realism to the to their films and it's a genre that i you know magical realism is is for me a very very i love magical realism one of my favorite authors is haruki murakami um and my favourite book is is the great uh, One Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. You know, magical realism is very much a, a genre that means a lot to me. 
Um, and what the Red Turtle succeeds in doing is perfectly fitting within that. You know, Ghibli films, you know, they also kind of bring you along this journey and then, the, you know, you end up getting swept away by them. And the Red Turtle it also does this exactly. It does this, you know, perfectly well. Um, you know, the, the animation, it's so... It's so simple, yet so beautiful. Um, the score is simple, yet beautiful. And the story as well is simple, yet yet it's beautiful. And I, I, was, I was purely blown away by it. Um, you know, tr traditional animated films, um, you know, kind of... When I say traditionally animated, I mean, I mean ones that kind of rely on hand-drawn art. Obviously, you know, nowadays they kind of get put through computers, but, you know, ones that kind of rely on hand-drawn art. I'm not thinking of, you know, the Pixar stuff, for example, where it's kind of computer-generated. I mean, you know, stuff that's actually drawn by an artist or with a pen and paper first, you know. I'm not saying that the Toy Story ones... Do you understand what I mean, Danny, by... Yeah. Yeah? So yeah. stuff that's, like, more cartoony than, than CGI, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. you know, the traditionally animated films, you know, especially over the last few years, really, have kind of not been, I mean, it's getting better. I mean, it's, it's getting better, but you know, we are with the high, we had the high era, you know, we had the great era of the nineties with the Disney Renaissance and, and kind of ending with, you know, I mean, I think what Lilo and Stitch was really the last good Disney animated film, hand-drawn animated film, before they decided they were going to do CGI stuff with, um, I think it was Bolt was their first one. Right. And then and then they did Tangled and, and then obviously Frozen came out and, you know, they never looked back after, especially after Tangled, they never really looked back because, you know, why are they sinking money into hand-drawn animation when they can make us more money doing the CGI thing, which is cheaper? Um, and that's quite sad to see. Um, you know, Warner Brothers animation, I mean, doesn't really exist anymore. We haven't had a Warner Brothers animated film, hand-drawn animated film since The Iron Giant in 1999, which is a film that Danny hasn't seen and I'm determined to get on the podcast. <laughs> um okay. so that you know this is this is a you know this is a very very a genre of uh of films that i'm very very attached to um you know being a 90s kid and all i didn't grow up in the in the cgi era of of movies i grew up with watching the jungle book and and emperor's new groove and um hunchback of notre dame you know you know i grew up in that era the iron giant like i said you know it's one of my favorite films um, but nowadays, you know, it's kind of there's kind of been a little resurgence, and you know, you've got this, the Red Turtle, you've got the Irish animated film, The Song of the Sea, which is is which is amazing, um, and then also the film that we're going to be talking about also today, which kind of show the beauty in art in terms of hand drawn art, in terms of coming straight from the artist, in terms of an artist's vision, um, and the red the Red Turtle is is totally that. It's 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 just so beautifully drawn um it is the, it is the colors the colors are so simple i mean there's nothing complicated about the film unlike the other film we're going to be talking about today which couldn't be farther from this and i think which makes a really really good discussion when we get there this film is so 
simple. I keep using that word, but I have no other word to, to, to use. It's, 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 I don't think it's simple. I think it's complex in, in the story, but it's, it's very simplistically presented. Um, it just basically just takes everything away, like strips it all bare. Yeah. But it's just so beautiful in its, it's really, bare it's really naturalness. It's really interesting that you say that you you think this you say that the story there's a complexity to it. I've I really struggled with trying to work out what the metaphor metaphorical meaning was if there was one. And <laughs> I you know I I was I was thinking was is this a you know when the film started I was like wait is this a film about depression is it a film about creativity is it a film about family um is it a film about love you know i was trying to work it out and i I for one just i was struggling with it and and i just ended up just kind of just going you know what fuck it this is a a simple story about a man stuck on an island with a red turtle who you know transforms into this woman and then they have a child and the child grows up and then they you know the man passes away and, and she swims off into the ocean again and it's you know it's this magical realist story you know and it's but it's so kind of beautiful um you know honestly like i really i don't really want to know if i want to be kind of i want to figure that out i'm okay (laughs) so i I should i probably shouldn't say anything (laughs) no 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 you, you can go for it i mean i i think for me for me trying to process it and for me trying to work it out i really don't think I want to myself work it out, but if somebody was to come up to me like you are going to in a minute and just give me an interpretation or, or what the artist or what the director has said the film is about, then I'm, you know, I can be like, well, that's what the director said, but that's not what I think. You know what I mean? Um, you know, honestly, like, I'm I'm very very grateful to have seen this, you know, and to have a chance to talk about it on the podcast, you know, even if it's you know four years after the event um when i should have when i when i should have watched it sorry better late than never better late than never um uh, i think that should be the podcast motto really um better late than never (laughs) i mean yeah we got to see uh, metropolis (laughs) (laughs) almost a hundred years uh, later (laughs) yeah and and when we when we you know in a few weeks time you know there's uh, when we do our halloween episodes you know there's going to be some really horrible blind spots i'm going to admit to um so yeah you'll be fine you know this um this film was utterly utterly stunning and 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 i i'm yeah i'm kind of blown away by it i i spent you know i spent the rest of today i spent most of today um when i was not at work listening to the score um just to kind of get at least halfway back to the kind of place I was when I watched it. And that says a lot about the film. Um, and I've said, you know, in the past, you know, about films that I would probably end up rewatching, you know, what the hierarchy is. This is, this is number one straight away. <laughs> I would have rewatched this in a heartbeat. I would probably rewatch this after we're done recording. And oh. it is at the moment, <laughs> half past 10 at night when we're recording. So yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so that that that's kind of me done. I on on the red turtle. I'm sure we'll come up with some other stuff. But yeah. 
I'm I'm glad that you really enjoyed it. Um, I didn't expect uh, to be fair. I didn't expect to you to have such a emotional reaction to the film, but I'm happy that you did. Um, I was when you suggested um to to do a, um, an episode on animation. I was I kind of I was a bit at a loss because I knew that you you'd had seen most of the animated films. I think the there. original the original suggestion was um, the Aristocats. Was it? Uh, it was that was the original one. I think the original film was going to be the Aristocats, and I think I was watching Spider Man, you know, for the thousandth time at the time, and I think I messaged you and was like, "I don't think the Aristocats is going to work," and I think you came up with this, and I'm really happy you did as our second suggestion, <laughs> um, because I don't think as much as you love you know jazz playing cats in paris or wherever it, that is film is set um it, it it's not gonna hold a torch to what what this is <laughs> true true <laughs> um so yeah i'm happy i was happy that you um you you told me you hadn't seen it so i was able to add it on on the podcast um i i think i i've i've watched this because of of mark kermode's review which i will share in the, in the show notes um he raved so much about it that I just felt like I needed to see this film. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know, it just gave me such a feeling of, of anxiety, of sadness, nostalgia, of of restlessness as well when I first watched it, um, which was reiterated upon my second and third viewing of it. I just... I I know you've said that you you watched it and you didn't think of much of of the metaphors of it, uh, per se. But I think the beauty of this film lies with the fact that it can mean so many things to so many different people, and you can just interpret you can just interpret it as just a story of a man on an island, uh, or it can be a a metaphor of life itself, like the circle of life. It could be a metaphor about I don't know man's communion, communion with nature um it could be so many different other things so yeah it was just it felt like to me it just i've watched it like three times now and every time i find like a new meaning to it and a new metaphor and now i think and in, in, in this post-covid world i think now more than ever is it to me at least it feels like it means that we should have a more like closer relationship with nature and and the environment around us and the fact that man is not the ultimate species on earth it's it's just another species we're not we're not masters of nature um nature can kill us and will kill us and i think that's quite beautifully presented in in the, the red turtle because you see the man struggling against nature and he will never make it you will you will not win not once um so yeah i just I, I i felt there were so many metaphors like each detail meant something else too and i'm glad that you picked up on the colors because every scene had like a different color um and it was just beautiful like the grays and the reds and the greens and the blues it was just beautiful especially at the sunset when you when you actually move into the uh the sequence with the red turtle it feels like the whole hue of the red turtle just melts into the sea into the sunset it's just 
beautiful. And the idea of, of I felt like with with a man stuck on an island and he's trying to escape and trying to discover and be inquisitive and wanting to explore and find other places, other horizons, find other people. It's it it's just being human and it's it's beautifully presented as well and the idea of resilience is beautifully expressed. What I also found um quite heartbreak heartbreaking, um, the idea of of regret because you see the man being very, very angry at the turtle for having stopped him leaving the island and he he turns it around and just leaves it on its back until it dies. Um and then he almost immediately feels regret and understands that he somehow ruined the balance of the environment in which he lives and he's trying very hard to bring it back to life and maybe as a, as a as a way of being forgiven the turtle turns into the woman um that at least that's how i, I saw it and um i think mark Hermot said, said, said something about referring to that scene that he mentioned the rhyme of the ancient mariner in his review um, I'm not sure if I would go as far as that, but yeah, I, I wouldn't. I would not go as far as that. I no, can kind of, I can kind of see where he's coming from. Yeah, I mean that's kind of yeah. Of, it depends on 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 your state of mind as well, I I suppose. Yeah, I mean if you're if you're an opioid addict and you're you know well into your Samuel Taylor Coleridge, then yeah, you might be able to <laughs> definitely see. Okay. Um, you might be able to definitely. I'm not saying that's what you know mark commode is but you know you know the dude's favorite film is the exorcist for crying out loud um so of course you know he's he may you know go towards the the dark a darker meaning because you know the roman chimera isn't exactly you know a story for kids no but at the same i think what he meant with it was that as soon as remorse happens he is forgiven as soon as the man understands his role in in nature and how he's not supposed to disrupt that balance he will be forgiven but the mariner isn't forgiven he's punished yeah but when he start blessing the the animals he is forgiven he's not because he's 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 left to tell his tale for years to come like he he isn't forgiven like if he was forgiven he wouldn't be kept alive okay I, I know we're, we're talking about the Roman it's Gibraltar here, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 we're, I, I, it's a, no, it's fine. I, I, it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, you know, the, the 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 relationship between nature, man, and nature, especially when it comes to you know nature of the sea and and yeah. uncharted territory, which both you know Roman the Mariner and the Red Turtle kind of you know look across i did not think i was going to be talking about the samuel taylor Coleridge. <laughs> if i did if i did i would have done i would have reread yeah some of i did i've only I've, i didn't i didn't think i was i was i've only mentioned it in passing um that i think it, it the interpretation might be a bit far-fetched um but yeah back to the red turtle i really loved this film and in its apparent simplicity but i think it's it's more than meets the eye i think for me it's just more than just a story every time i watch it i discover new things about it that make me feel 
bit nostalgic about the time past and the idea of, of communion with nature seems lost on many of us nowadays and I think it's important to to re-establish that um, relationship especially now when you know that nature will kill you <laughs> yeah and the visuals like you said are incredible um, I love the drawing um, it, it's stunning um, I don't have many details about the production except that it is the I think you said you mentioned the, it is the first non-Japanese film that was produced by Studio Ghibli and I think there was about six animators working on it at one point um, I think I think with this film as well like if I remember if I remember my film history correctly with Ghibli I think the last ever Ghibli film was meant to be The Wind Rises or um, The Tale of Princess Kaguya and then Miyazaki was gonna you know he retired he said he came up he said he was retiring and then yeah, yeah. You know, a couple of years later it came out that they were re releasing this and then you know a couple years after that i think about three years after that last year i think it, it came out that miyazaki is unretired um and he's he's working on a on another film obviously um you know we lost uh aso takahata i think it was last year he passed away um but you know this this was meant to, i think this was meant to be i think this may have been like the catalyst for ghibli to not die as it were like yeah. maybe this maybe this was them trying to become like a production house rather than you know like a distribution house rather than a production house maybe yeah so yeah i just i'm i'm glad, I'm glad that we got to talk about this film and um i'm like you said yeah i'll probably rewatch it tomorrow maybe not tonight but tomorrow definitely <laughs> Um, and I think yeah, that's kind of it for me in terms of interpretation. I there would be more, but I think with the rhyme of the Asian Mariner, we've kind of covered everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you're if you're if you're delving into the rhyme of the Asian Mariner, then you then you really are kind of you know got in really deep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I I mean I think I think for me like if I'm you know I will end up watching this a second time, and if I do watch it with further viewings you know undoubtedly due to my you know degree and 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 master's course and what have you i'm going to end up you know looking for interpretations because that's only natural for you know people like us that will end up doing that um so don't be surprised if in six months time i'm going to come back and say oh it means this and end up <laughs> blowing everybody away with an insane theory about the red turtle i mean i wouldn't be surprised if you decided to write your dissertation on it <laughs> I've, I mean, I've, if... I've actually spoken to other people in the same sort of line of work and they were like yeah i could i could write a whole dissertation on, on what it means and all the different interpretations i think if 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 i was talking to myself from you know if i was talking to myself from from last october if i said i went to last october nicholas i would have said to him don't don't choose michael bay's transformers films uh, as your dissertation topic because you will go insane choose the red turtle and that film because you will end up loving life rather than hating it by the end of uh, april I, I i can't comment to michael bay because we will be here until the cows come home uh, yeah. but yeah cool anyway. so um our next film yes. 
Next film is uh, from two years later. This one came out in 2018. Um, it is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, there are three directors, co-directors, uh, Rodney Rothman, Peter Ramsey, and Bob Persichetti. I think the most well-known name in that list would probably be Peter Ramsey as the director of the DreamWorks film Rise of the Guardians, um, which is a really, really underrated um animated film uh especially in the holiday time if you're looking for a good holiday movie to watch you know christmas movie to watch rise of the guardians is definitely up there as, as something to give it to watch um it is uh written by rodney rothman and phil lord of uh lord and miller um those you know really funny guys that that did the 21 jump street films and lego movie um you know those funny guys um and yeah so spider-man into spider-verse i got a little bit of a short synopsis um miles morales is juggling his life between being a high school student and being a spider-man when wilson kingpin fisk uses a super collider others from across the spider-verse are transported to this dimension um so i know i know you know in the past we've said that uh danny wouldn't watch any film you know wouldn't actively watch certain films and I can, I'm pretty 90% sure you wouldn't actively watch this one. Am I, am I right in thinking? You are right in thinking that, yes. Um, saying that, what did you think of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse when you finally finished watching it? So, yeah, having said that, I mean, I'm not the target audience for this. That is completely apparent in the first few seconds. But I'd really, I, I can't say I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it quite a lot. Um, it was funny, it was witty, it was charming. I mean, it has Lily Tomlin as Aunt May. You can't really go wrong with that. I can I can ramble on about how awesome Lily Tomlin is. She doesn't get enough recognition for her talent, I don't think. I think she should be. Like, everyone should talk about how amazing Lily Tomlin is. Um, I love her. And, yeah, I, I loved uh, I loved her performance in this. Um, it's yeah, it it was a really charming uh, film, a uh, very, very bright, very. If I if I if I say busy visually, I don't mean it as a negative thing, but it was quite like charged with everything was like everything was there, all the colors in the world. Um. Yeah, it looked like a comic book, which I'm sure appealed to you a great deal. I, I'm sure that it's one of the reasons you've, you've actually wanted me to watch this, because it's just like, every voice comic, you know, it's it's great. It's, it's the craft is apparent, it's beautiful. Um, I wasn't very invested in the big fight scenes. Um, it just, yeah, I, I was kind of trying to understand exactly what was going on with the the black holes and the gadgets and the gizmos i had it was a bit a bit like okay so that's what's happening there's like alternate universes and you know it took me a while to understand exactly what was going on but i did appreciate the craft it was it was a beautiful nice entertaining viewing experience I really like the score. I wasn't too crazy on the really poppy tunes, but again, I'm not the target audience for this. I, I really thought it was it was a very, very um, interesting story. 
some really good original ideas. I love the hero. I love that the hero was 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 a boy called Miles Morales. Um, I think his mum was was Hispanic and his dad was black, so it was it was it was quite a, a good tonic to see someone else be be Spider Man for a change. And of course, girls Spider Man as as well. So just to, just to tick all the boxes. Um, so yeah, I can see why you wanted to talk about this. It's 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 very hard to say other than it's a really good film. I really enjoyed it. I remember when it came out and I didn't want to go to see it because when I went in 2018 I went to see I Love Dogs at the cinema and it got nominated for best animated film at the Oscars but this film won instead and I was kind I mean, of upset because I was like I wanted, I wanted I Love Dogs to win because I love I love I loved I love I love dogs and I love Wes Anderson and I love everything Wes Anderson does. So I mean I still kind of prefer I love dogs to this. Don't get me wrong, but I would I can understand now why it went why it won best um, animated feature at the Oscars. Um, but yeah, I loved I liked all the different Spider People. I loved the uh, noir Nicholas Cage. I thought that was hilarious. That was just brilliant. It was a nice, nice touch. Um, very heartwarming story. I felt bad for for the uh, Uncle Aaron. Um, yeah. The villain. Oh, I just wanted to say that I don't know. The villain just seemed to take out the air in every room, and it just made me think of all the super billionaires of the world. And I hated him, like I hate all the super billionaires. So yeah, but it was just yeah, I really really enjoyed it. So thank you for making me watch it. You're very 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 welcome. Um, on on the note, just like well, you know why you got the cast in your mind. So uh, Shamik Moore voiced uh, Mars Morales. Uh, Jake Johnson, aka Nick from New Girl, uh, voiced. Uh, the Peter Parker, the the Peter Parker from uh, Universe Six One Six, Haley Steinfeld um, from Oh Edge of Seventeen. Uh, she was in Bumblebee. Um, she was she in voiced... um, True Grit. Yes, True Grit. Yeah, True Grit. I think it was one of her first roles. Um, yeah, so she was she... really good in True Grit. Oh my god, she was yeah. brilliant. She voiced uh, Spider Gwen or Gwen Stacy. Um, a role which in the normal Marvel universe, you know, Peter Parker canon dies. Um, so, oh. you know, did you not? Yeah. So Gwen Stacy. I have no. Normal... I, I don't watch comic books. I have no idea no, 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 what's no, no, going no. on. No, no, no. It's fine. So, so in in the Marvel, I'm going to get really nerdy here. Sorry. Um, so in the in the Marvel in the original Marvel universe, uh, Peter Parker is Spider Man. Um, he has a kind of sort of on and off relationship with uh, Mary Jane Watson. That I know. That film. bit I know. <laughs> um, so Gwen Gwen Stacy, who has been shafted so far in in the live action films, you know, she was played by Bryce Dallas Howard in Spider Man Three, and played by Emma Stone in Amazing Spider Man and Amazing Spider Man Two. Um, so she she dies. Um, you know, in every iteration of Peter Parker, you know in the traditional storyline Gwen Stacy dies that that is law you know there are two things that are meant to happen in the spider you know in in Marvel comics really it's one uncle ben dies and the second one is Gwen Stacy dies those are the two things that you just do not change when it comes to spider-man and in this 
iteration in Spider Gwen's iteration, what happened in two thousand and I think it was like two thousand and twelve, two thousand thirteen, somewhere around there. They released uh, Marvel released this series called Spider. It's like Edge of Spider Verse, um, and it was these five comics from five different creators. And um, it, we got the first iteration in issue two. We got the first iteration of Spider Gwen. That comic sold more issues than any other. I remember, if I remember rightly, that year. Really? Um, it, it, yeah, it, it sold like gangbusters. And Marvel, it, it went into millions, like printing. It was like, you know, you had like ninth printing of the issue. It was insane. And then they launched its own, she had her own comic, which is still really, really popular um, to this day. It's still extraordinarily popular. I, I'm, you know, not to sound smug about it, but I have both her first appearance issue and her first proper issue so those are nice sitting nicely in my comic book collection i Mars didn't, Morales. I, didn't ex- I didn't expect anything less so mars morales um uh, he was conceived in the late 90s early 2000s um so he was conceived yeah so he's kind of so basically what happened was in the early, late 90s early 2000s marvel released uh, a line called ultimate comics or ultimate spider-man you had ultimate spider-man ultimate x-men which was kind of translating redoing the origin stories of all these comic book heroes in modern day world um then they kind of redid the villains you know to kind of fit you know certain things and they redid all the stories um and then in about 2006 2007 um they wanted to introduce a new spider-man um but they didn't know what the best way to do it would be and whether they were to have a new, you know, in which universe was it going to be, you know, what they're going to be like, all this kind of thing. And they came to, uh, it was two two people, Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah uh, Pacelli, I think that's how you say her name. Um, I've completely butchered that. I'm going to have to, sorry, I'm going to have to get this right, otherwise I'm going to have, you know, loads of people coming after me. Um, Is she Italian? Uh... Pacelli, sorry, Sarah Pacelli. So Brian Michael Bendis, uh, the writer, and Sarah Pacelli created Mars Morales in about 2011. Um, yeah, so actually it was much later than I thought. So in 2011, they created Mars Morales, um, who is this half-black, half-Puerto Rican, Afro-Latino teenager and was the second Spider-Man in Ultimate Marvel. And what they ended up doing was they killed off the Peter Parker in that universe. So that Peter Parker dies to become Miles Morales's Uncle Ben. You know, you know, if you know the story of, of Spider-Man, you know that Uncle Ben is the reason, you know, with great power becomes great responsibility. It's basically the reason why Spider-Man is like he how he is. Um right. basically Miles Morales has that moment with with Spider-Man, with Peter Parker, and also with his own um, you know, in this film with his own Uncle Aaron, um, with the Prowler. And then, you know, due to various reasons and what have you, Marvel ended the ultimate thing in 2015 and then they brought over Miles Morales into that universe and blah, 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 and what have you. But Miles Morales is an extremely popular character. He has his own comic book line. Very, very popular for obvious reasons. Uh, Spider-Man Noir, um, I think, was originated back in the mid-2000s. Um, kind of like this 1930s-style uh kind of thing um no i was in the 40s though 
Sorry? Sorry. I think noir was started like true noir was. Yeah, 80s. but the, but Spider Man Noir is set in the 30s. Right. Okay. Yeah, you can take it up with Marvel. Um, <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to file a lawsuit. And then um, Spider Man, so animated Spider Man, anime Spider Man, so Penny Parker and Sp- SPDR um, actually kind of was like, is, is almost like an amalgamation of, um, like, a, there was a Japanese Spider Man from a years, years, years and years ago. Um, but also in that uh, Edge of Spider Verse, those original five issues, uh, Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance. Uh, did an anime version of manga version of spider-man and that kind of originated into this and then you have john mulaney as spider-ham um who is a real comic book character uh from 1988 uh he he first originated from what what did you think of spider-ham um <laughs> I was surprised to see there was a spider ham in the first place. I I was like all these new spider people came just came from like the woodworks and I was like, Whoa, hang on a second, what is going on? You have all these new spider people that I didn't know existed. So, you know, when you had the anime spider uh, woman, spider slash spider robot. Yeah. It was kind of like, okay, so now I there's nothing I doesn't that does surprise me anymore. So I was not very surprised when there was a spider. What was it? Spider ham. So Sp- Sp- Spider ham is uh, Peter Porker. And Peter he Porker. Was, that, uh, he oh is God. a he was a spider <laughs> who was bitten by a radioactive pig. Um, right. That's, that's that's his origin story, and it's okay. it's the greatest thing ever. Uh, there's a great there's a great line at the end where he says that's all folks and then they questioned can he say yeah. that legally yeah I, I think they said that didn't they um they actually had to pass that through warner brothers believe it or not of um, course they did because it, it's it's owned by brother um, yeah warner it's brothers. trademarked so yeah the, um back onto the cast so yeah john, like i said john mulaney voiced uh spider ham yeah nicholas cage voicing um spider-man noir mahershaw ali oscar winner mahershaw ali voicing uh Aaron Davis, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, who people know as uh, Paperboy, or he was in uh, Paperboy from from Atlanta. Um, you know, he's he's also in. Is he in Widows? Maybe I don't think he is. There's there's something else he's in. Um, oh, if Bill Street could talk, that was the other film he was in. Uh, the aforementioned Lily Tomlin as um, uh, Aunt May. Um, Catherine Hamm as uh, Dr. Uh, Livia Octavius, uh, the female version of Doc Ock. Uh, Live Schreiber, Liv Schreiber as uh, Kingpin. And then you have... Oh my God, that, I didn't recognise his voice. Liv Schreiber, yeah. Um, I love and... him, but I just didn't recognise his voice. I wouldn't. Have, I probably wouldn't have hated it as much as, it, as, he, as I did if I knew. Because I like him. I would have had m- conflicting emotions about it. But I hated yeah. Kingpin. Did you, well, his his design was incredible, though. You got to admit his design. Yeah, it's just like he's just larger than any anything you could ever. He takes imagine. up takes up the whole frame. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Zoe Kravitz uh, voices Mary Jane Watson, um, and then the two, which always I always love saying this to people. So, did you recognise the voice of the first Peter Parker? Was it Chris Pine? It was Chris Pine. 
Did you recognize the voice of Miguel O'Hara from the post credit scene, Spider-Man 2099? No. That was Oscar Isaac. Oh. I don't think um, I would have recognized his, his voice. Yeah, so that's Oscar Isaac. Um, so yeah, no, it, 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 this voice cast is amazing. Obviously, you know, this is probably why we don't talk about animated films too uh, at all, because uh, I'm just going to end off reading off the voices that are used. Um, but this voice cast is incredible. Um, I think Jay Johnson, um, you know, I grew up reading that iteration of Spider-Man, so his version of Spider-Man was utterly perfect. Um, you know, a guy that had been rung he's been through the ringer and you know he couldn't even bring his pizza through the portal which you know always makes me laugh um you know he's trying to eat his pizza and the the you know he's just <laughs> he's just like there's another weird thing happening i want to eat my slice <laughs> of pizza and then he doesn't go through with it um so yeah i mean kind of to give perspective on where this film came from i kind of have to go through i'm going to be really i'm going to apologize in advance to you danny and to our listeners but i kind of have to do a personal like journey through um because this is a very very important film for me and a very uh, spider-man is a very very important character for me so i've been you know i've been a marvel zombie since since way back um, you know, the character that, that I became exposed to when I was about seven at a car boot sale when I picked up a load of Spider-Man comics for about 50p. Um, you know, then the Raimi films came out um, and they were absolutely seminal. The first one, you know, that you had... I think the, the I've ninth... seen that one and the second one. Oh, they're so good. Even the third... I love the third one. I, I love the third one. Um, and then you have the, the 90s animated TV series, which I remember watching on Fox Kids between um you know you had spider-man the animated series then you had jackie chan adventures and totally spies and digimon you know that was my you know childhood and it was it was amazing um and then you know the the raimi films came out and then they rebooted spider-man with andrew garfield and they said this was going to be a slightly darker take because you know the dark knight had come out and everyone was like we need to do dark especially sony (laughs) um you know the Andrew Garfield films you know they kind of they have their moments but um I've not seen any of those films I mean the first one's okay you've got Reese fans as 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 um as the lizard in the the, the design the design of the lizard is terrible um the you know the design you know he doesn't have the snout he doesn't have the crocodile snout which is what the lizard is famed for and then Amazing Spider-Man 2 is just I mean, there's a really good bit at the beginning, and then there's a relatively good bit at the end. Um, both of it's involving Paul Giamatti. <laughs> um, I but mean, other... you can't go wrong with Paul Giamatti. <sighs> yeah, and then the rest of the film, you have Jamie Foxx as Electro, um, Dane DeHaan as um, um, Harry Osborn and the Green Goblin um and it just it's just it's just a bad film it's so bad um and then it kind of because of that film's failure and then i don't know if anybody remembers the sony hack um so the sony hack do you not remember the sony hack so the sony hack it rings a bell but i don't think i paid enough attention to remember it it does ring a so you remember when so you remember when the interview came well the interview was going to be released which was a comedy starring james franco and seth rogan which was all about interviewing the leader of north korea and then they were signed by cia to assassinate the north korean leader do you remember that 
I remember hearing about the film. I've not seen the film. I haven't either, but yeah, which kind of says it all, really. But basically, what happened was North Korea retaliated by hacking into Sony's emails and releasing them along among the web. Um, oh, it was an ins- yeah, now I remember. Yeah, so we, out of all that news, we got, I think it was like, there was going to be a 21 Jump Street Men in Black crossover, right. um, which, which uh, Jonah Hill was quoted as saying, this will make money, um, which is quite <laughs> funny. There were talks. There was stuff in there about um, Bond, obviously, because Sony at that time had the had the distribution rights to Bond. But obviously, there was a lot in there about Marvel and Sony, um, and obviously, Marvel at this time was massive. Two thousand fifteen, you know, like huge. So um, yeah, so there was. Uh, then it was released. Then it was. Uh, everyone found out that Amy Pascal had meetings with uh, Kevin Feige about reintroducing about introducing spider-man you know marvel's most famous hero into the marvel cinematic universe this big blockbuster giant juggernaut um and everyone kind of lost their shit because that's impossible how can that be sony and disney working together that that can't happen um and obviously it it didn't happen and then everyone found out about it and kicked off and everyone they sony realized that Hang on a minute, we can actually make some money here. Um, so they, they, you know, they did a deal with with Disney, which kind of led to a moment which I celebrated, like England winning the World Cup, um, you know, which was Spider Man coming to the MCU. And it was around about this time that oh, so that's why you have Spider Man played by Tom, Tom Holland. Holland in yeah. in like being friends with Iron Man yes so yeah. that's why because i've been watching the, the 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 you know iron man and the thors and all the avengers but it didn't make sense to me that why spider-man was there with iron man and everybody else yeah so basically it was because um sony and disney worked a deal into in, you right. know, getting spider-man okay. into it's a it's a really complex thing that i won't go into because i've already bored our listeners enough but <laughs> It was around about this time in 2015 that a report came out, I think it was in Variety, of Sony wanting to release various pictures in a Spider-Man universe. You know, they wanted to release, uh, there was going to be an Aunt May solo film, they wanted to do a Silver Sable film, it was going to do, they were going to do a, a Craven film, you know, it was like, we have, they have all these IP, they always lend to intellectual property and they just want to make films, regardless of the stupidity of the idea. And buried in that report was they were going to do an animated Spider-Man film. And it was honestly, when I say buried, it was literally like the last paragraph. It was insane. Um, and then, you know, it came out that this was going to be for the minds of Lord and Miller. You know, the aforementioned Lord and Miller, the guys that made the Lego movie, uh, the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs films, which are excellent. And, you know, the cult TV series uh, Clone High. Um, you know, and then... I didn't think anything of it. I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. I should be well all over this, but I, because it was buried in this report and because it was, it was all underneath all this stupidity from Sony. I just didn't give a shit because I was like, well, they're not going to go through with it. They're going to realize this is a bad idea and it's not going to happen. And then in 2018, um, a trailer came out. It was like a, a 30, 45 second trailer or something like that. And it showed, it didn't show much. It was, it was like barely anything, but it was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, this, this could be, this could be good. It didn't show any, it didn't, it didn't show anything that was 
that we would then come to expect that we would then see in the film. And then I sat down to watch Tom Hardy's Venom in October. God, that was a movie and a half. Um, was and that after good? The credit- no, God. It so vet. All right. So to, to, I didn't to watch it. it. I mean, I love Tom uh, Hardy, but I just didn't want all right, to. If you if you love Tom Hardy, I recommend watching it because Tom Hardy's performance is the best thing about the film. The film oh. itself is awful, but Tom Hardy's performance is amazing. I mean, Tom Hardy's a very good actor. Yeah, but no, his accent is all over the place, and it's incredible. It's amazing, and his he does also does the voice for Venom, uh, Eddie. And it's just, it's so fucking good. And there's a scene in a restaurant, which I'm not going to spoil, which is apparently improvised. And if you end up watching Venom, you will thank me because it is an amazing sequence. Um, Michelle Williams is in it uh, as well. Um, And she's wearing a really bad wig. Um, But yeah, no, the film itself isn't very good, but Tom Hardy, I mean, you know, there's there's a saying of a great performance in a bad film. This is a really great performance in a bad film. And I'm not saying great because it's, you know, the greatest of all time. I'm talking it's great because it's doing something completely insane. So, yeah, I really recommend it for that. Um, but anyway, after watching Venom, you know, the credits, and then they showed a five-minute... Like, it was about a five-minute sequence from the film. And I... It, it immediately had my attention. It was like... And it wasn't just me, either. Everyone who spoke who had seen Venom ended up talking about this sequence from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse because we were like, this animated film is going to be unlike anything we had seen because we had been so used to, you know, films like Hotel Transylvania, the, you know, the the, the Despicable Me films, you know, this kind of sheen and cartoonishness. We weren't expecting yeah. this comic book come to life. And then when they sat down to watch it, it was like... It was like it was like being introduced to a new character. It was like being introduced to an old friend for the first time, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So yeah, um this the animation is incredible. Um it's kind of like this weird amalgamation. So every frame, I mean, I I own the the art of the Spider-Verse book. Um and it is honestly, it's you look through the concept art because usually when you look through one of these books, you know, the concept art is better than the visuals that you see in the film. But it's the case where the concept art you're looking at is on a par with what you see on the screen, and you never see that in an animated film. Um, you it's know, true. It was yeah. It was it was loaded with lots of like incredible details. Yeah, there's and it, it's it's not just the, the the details about the art either. I mean, there's so many. There is a there is a Hollywood Reporter article that I'm going to link to in the show notes, which link which this guy called Dan Volston. Um, I think it was like a month or a couple weeks after the film came out, did a rundown of all the Easter eggs in Spider-Verse. And it is an insane list. Um oh, one, of my sure. fav- one of my favourites is uh, when you see the Prowler, th- when you see going to Anchor Aaron's apartment for the first time, you see the TV screen and you see uh, a guy get out of bed with a Spider-Man pyjamas on. It's a very, very brief glimpse, but that is from taken from an episode of Community with uh, the actor Donald Glover playing Troy because at the time, uh, you know, way back when he was campaigning to be the first black on-screen Spider-Man. So they had that little sequence in there. There's also a red spider suit, an all-red spider suit, which you don't see 
very long, but it's there. And this guy, Dan Vosden, it's the most obscure reference because it comes from one single issue from Spider-Man in the mid-90s that is like a random issue. It doesn't come from anywhere. It's not a popular thing. It's just come from one random issue of Spider-Man from the mid-90s. And that shows you the amount of care and amount of love that's in the film and the amount of attention to detail. Um, this was also one of Stanley's final appearances. Um, his final four voice appearance, um, you know, recorded. Obviously, you know, he had these posthumous appearances in Captain Marvel and in Avengers Endgame. Um, and I think it was Ant-Man and the Wasp as well. Um, he he voiced himself in that shop and there's a yes, scene, yes. there's a bit where he says it the mask always fits eventually and yeah. it's and then there's this showing nod to you know was it refunds will not be accepted or something like that Returns yeah, no not accepted. refunds no refunds and that is stan lee in a nutshell it's the salesman yet it's the man with the deep message um and it's such a perfect moment. And then, you know, there's this little moment where he says, I'm, I'm going to miss him um, when after Peter Parker dies. And it's such a... Because this film came out, like, a month after he died. And to hear Stan Lee saying that he's going to miss Peter Parker, Spider-Man, that his most famous creation after he died was just... It was an emotional moment. Um, and that's the thing about Spider-Man. is He's this extremely relatable character, you know... And the message of the film is that the main message of the film is that anybody can wear the mask. And, you know, it is a leap of faith that anybody can wear the mask. Anybody can be Spider-Man. You don't have to be Peter Parker. You know, this white man, this white 17-year-old. You can be an Afro-Latino teenager. You can be a teenage girl. You know, you can be a Japanese you know girl you, you can be anybody and you can be spider-man you can be the superhero that the world needs and that is such an incredible message of the film um and it's such a powerful one as well that it always gets me when that moment where miles morales jumps off you know when he's finally got his costume on his own costume on and he jumps off the building and you got what's up danger playing and there's this beautiful shot and it's a slow motion shot of him falling through the sky but obviously it's 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 upside down so it looks like he's rising into the skyscrapers with yeah that was a blue great back. shot and i had i have it as my desktop background on my on my on my pc <laughs> because it is a beautiful shot and it, it, it means so much and then when when peter parker you know is doubting whether he goes back and he's like i don't know if i'm ready to go back and he's like dude you got to it's a leap of faith and it's just it's it's an incredible film because it, it, it it's not just beautiful to look at but it also contains some incredible messages and in like i said in a world of you know in a world of, of films like the despicable me films you know where it's all just pop culture references and you know stuff that you know your mum's gonna find funny it this is this is something something just incredible and something I'm so happy to have seen in the cinema uh, three times, I think, I saw it in the cinema. Um, but yeah, to kind of link this in, really. So the animation, like I said, isn't like that, the Red Turtle. You know, this is this has the money of a AAA four-quadrant blockbuster. You know, it's, it's there on screen as you're looking at it. But the difference, like I said, between that of this and, like, you know, Sony's own Hotel Transylvania series 
for example, is that it's not like Sheen and cult, 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 cultural pop references to the masses. It's something that's it's ingrained with love and it's ingrained with care. Um, you know, it like I said, it, it feels different, it feels new, and it feels exciting, but it also feels like you're sitting down for a long term fan like me, it feels like you're sitting down with an old friend again for the first time. Um, you know, the soundtrack is amazing. I think I, you know, that the soundtrack is the best thing, best Spider Man soundtrack since since that of Spider Man two when we had uh Taking Back Sunday and uh, Dashboard Confessional. Uh for those uh nineties kids that know what I'm talking about there. Um as Danny said, this film won Best Animated Film in 2019. Um, it is was the first non-Disney animated film to win since 2011's Rango, which is another film I kind of want to get on the podcast. Um, it is also the first time since there were no Disney movies in that category since 2006 when Happy Feet won. So that's really, yeah, really, really strong. And of course, you know, it's going to have a sequel. Um, 2022 is that when that's coming out. Um, I have no idea what it's going to be about, but I couldn't care less. I'm I'm on board. Um, <laughs> and you know, since since this film came out, release uh, December two thousand eighteen, which is what let's count this in months. So December two thousand eighteen. So we've got twelve months in. So we're talking twenty in twenty one months. I have seen this film eight times. Um, wow. which is which is pretty. Is that too yeah. many? No. Well, well, it depends on who you ask. I think I've seen films. That... But in a in a twenty yeah. in a twenty month period, in a, in a period less than two years, have you seen a film eight times? Yeah. Okay. All right. More than one. More than one. Okay. I mean, if I All have right. to write a piece about a film, I'll probably watch it eight times if, in okay, two okay, weeks. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. All right. My my point is yeah. Okay. I was just <laughs> there's. Yeah, I I love this film a lot. Um, I am honestly, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I did, um, I did really enjoy it, and I'm so glad you found it funny as well. I was really it was worried, but... it was really funny. I mean, it was it was truly funny. I think I had quite a few chuckles. I mean, what is it with tie your damn shoelaces, kid? <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 the that's the old woman coming out in you. That's like you know. The, 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 I I, I could see him stumble and fall on his on his face when he was trying to do the jump because I could see that he has a shoelaces untied and it was like, come on, <laughs> too easy. I think it was, was funny. Was really, it was funny. Was, I liked it, and I liked I Nicolas think... Cage as a, as a, um, a Spider Man noir. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, the the Rubik's cube was 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 excellent. Um, you know, he only sees it black and white. He can't yeah. see the colours on a Rubik's cube. Um, yeah, the uh, I think this film there was like there was a couple of Twitter people that were talking about. I remember talking about how because obviously Twitter is the bass is is idiocy incarnate, but <laughs> there were a couple of it people. It can I be. Yeah, people I remember talking about how that this film would look amazing in live action. It wouldn't work in live action. No. You you look at that final set piece with the super collider and with the universe is collapsing in on itself and coming to them as it were. That would not look. It would look horrible in live action. Um, I think its strength lies with the way it was made. It was drawn, so to speak, because it looked like a comic book. 
Yeah. I think that that was the, the the thing that got my attention was how much it looked like a comic book with like bubbles coming out and and like reactions coming out of their heads. It was it was I liked that. That was I, I thought that was really really cute. Yeah, Very you have the, the you have the bende dots, you have the 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 sound effects, the onomatopoeic sound effects coming out, yeah. you have the panels, you have the thoughts in his head. Um, yeah, it was really cute. They could, like question marks and all that. It was just so so cute. And Miles is such yeah. a cute face. Yeah. And, and you know, the film starts off with this moment where it starts off with the, the comic book comic code authority logo. Um, which for comic nerds is like insanely cool because uh, it just sets the scene, it just sets the tone of the film and obviously Chris Pine's uh, narration comes over and you know in that narration you know he's referencing Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, um, you know he's got his own cereal, he's got his own Christmas album, he's got <laughs> Popsicle, you know like it, it. the film, I think the film is a perfect love letter to Spider-Man and yeah, I, I love I love this film so much, and and I'm so happy to to have, have had a chance to bore everybody with my opinion and my thoughts on Spider Man into the Spider Verse, and bore Danny as well because that's what Yay. we're here for. Um, so yeah, that, I, accomplished. I, I have I have written I have actually written a piece on my website, believe it or not. <laughs> well done. This, about this film um i wrote it actually last year uh, it's on my website it's one of the few pieces on my website because i've kind of stopped writing on there now i will link to that in the show notes because it's all about kind of re- almost reiterating what i'm saying but about what it's like to wear the mask um especially for somebody like me um you know i'm not a white man i'm not white i'm not um you know i'm mixed race i'm I don't see myself on screen. Um, you know, everybody talks about representation on screen. I do not see myself on screen. I don't, you know, I, I think the first time I saw somebody like me in a big budget blockbuster was Thor Ragnarok. Um, and that's only because Taika Waititi uses Maori actors. And and I'm not talking, you know, the people who look like Django Fett in, 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 in Attack of the Clones or... You know, I mean, what the rock is? The rock is Samoan, and you know, okay, that's slightly different, same, similar to, to the Mari, but I don't look like anything like the Rock, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you know, and the, the 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 article kind of goes into some detail as to what it's like to kind of feel like you can wear the mask in a world where it's it doesn't seem like that's possible. So yeah, I'm gonna link to that in the show notes. Um, along with Danny's piece, you had no, you had a you had a piece you want to link to about Red Turtle. Yeah, I had the reviews, uh, Mark Romo's review for um on it, which yeah. I think um, yeah, it's quite an interesting review. And I would also link to those uh, Spider-Man Easter eggs if uh, if you want to go through them. Uh, some of them are really obscure. Some of them are really funny. Um, some of them, you know, you'll catch on the second viewing of it. Oh yeah. Uh, some of them, even I'm still trying to catch eight viewings later. <laughs> uh, so that's I could talk Ooh. about this one for hours. So that, but I'm, I'm going to stop there. I've I've stopped. Okay. Cool. Um. So what have we got on for next week? Um, so next week is kind of a preview. Um, we're kind of kind of previewing uh, Noir Vember, 
uh, in September. Um, <laughs> so we, we've got two noir films uh, coming up. Kind of as like we couldn't fit them in our noir vember schedule because they're only really f I think there's only four films in that in that month that we're kind of going. So we've decided to do this one now um, because there's there's never a, not a good time to talk about film noir. True. Um, so we're talking about the lady from Shanghai from 1947, directed by some bloke called Orson Welles. Um, Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, I think he decided. I think it directed some film about a guy in a newspaper. I don't know. Um, some kid yeah. lost a sled. Yeah, some some bloke lost a sled. I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Lady <laughs> from Shanghai, uh, starring Rita Hayworth and that bloke Orson Welles, whoever he is. Um, <laughs> I actually have a T-shirt with his face on it. Really? I do. Okay. That's pretty cool. I'm actually <laughs> jealous. Um, and we are watching that with uh, the 2018 film uh, Under the Silver Lake, uh, directed by David Robert Mitchell, um, starring Andrew Garfield, um, who we spoke about earlier, uh, Riley Keough, and I saw, I saw Andrew Garfield on stage, and he's oh. very good. On In what? In um, Andrews in America. Was, it, was he good, was he? It was very good, yeah. He was very. I good. mean, I I think he's a very very good actor. I think he, he was. was he, he was brilliant. He, you know, in in the in the Amazing Spider Man films, he's a very very good Spider Man. Just the films let him down. Um, and I think he's a very very good actor. Um, Under the Silver Lake, I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Uh, I mean, I don't. What was the what was the critical reaction to Lady from Shanghai at the time? Do you know? Um, but I will find out. Okay. Because that would be really interesting to kind of put that towards uh, Under the Silver Lake, the critical reaction to Under yeah. the Silver Lake. Um, that's that's definitely something I will kind of want to get into next week. So look out for that. Um, look out for that next week. That's kind of that done. That's that done. So yeah. Cool. Uh, Danny, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at KinoJoan and my website is KinoJoan.co.uk. And you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. My uh, website is superatomicvision.com. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. So just search Nick S. Chandler. You should be able to find me. Uh, we've got our podcast, uh, Twitter at Kinotomic, and our Gmail account, uh, kinotomic at gmail.com. Drop us an email. Um, let us know. What, what do we want to know from the listeners? How many of you like Spider Man? <laughs> Yeah, go for that. Or 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 uh or what did you think of the red turtle? Yeah. What the what was the metaphor? That what you was the metaphor? Of? Yeah, that's a good one. What was the metaphor in what was your metaphorical reading of the red turtle? That's that's our question for this week. So it is a goodbye and thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. Die, what's up, danger?